Builders, week four. Just to recap really quickly where we've been and, uh, and what today's gonna be about. The first week we talked about uh, building a rescuing church, okay? Uh, and, and what we did on each week is we took somebody from the Old Testament and used them as an example of just some really fabulous builders in the Bible. They built things that lasted. Uh, they, they worked with God to build things that we are still a part of today. And uh, so we talked about Noah. Obviously, everybody on the face of the earth is a direct result of Noah being obedient. Thanks, Noah. And um, he built the ark, which was a rescue ship. We talked about how the church is really a rescue ship. Sometimes we can kind of get confused and think of it as a cruise ship where, you know what I'm saying? Like everything's just perfect. And, uh, but sometimes it's not that way, all right? Because we are a rescue ship. This is a workers' ship. This is what we're a part of. And uh, ultimately it's to co-labor with God to help people know him to save people from the, the pit of hell. That's what we're a part of. It's a great thing, it's a great mandate. That was week one. Second week was building a church that hosts the presence of God. And we talked about Moses, how Moses built a tabernacle. Uh, it was basically a tent that God, uh, his presence would live in. And uh, it was really a, a very intriguing story if you've never uh, looked into it. Read up on the, on the tabernacle. And uh, God, God said, Moses, I want you to build me this house. And Moses did. Moses was obedient. Moses had to deal with the children of Israel who were not always obedient. Most of the time they were annoying and ignorant. All right? and, uh, but somehow Moses made it through that and he built something great. And um, third week, last week, we talked about Nehemiah. And we talked about building a church together. And you know that they were building a wall together. And uh, sometimes they'd be working with one hand, they'd be carrying a sword in the other, but everybody had a place in the wall. And it was important that everybody knew their place in the wall so that way they could be united and build together and accomplish what God had for them to do. And that's what we do. Everybody's got a place to work. Everybody's got to be active. And, uh, and this week, what we're gonna talk about is building a, a permanent church, a church of permanence, all right? How many of you know that, that permanent is better than temporary? It, most of the time it always is. I mean, think about marriage. Dating is, is cool for a little while. And then at some point it's like, so what are we, what are we doing? Like, what's the point of this? You know, me and Nadine, uh, my wife, we, we dated for seven years before we got married. And um, yeah, that was, that was as, as bad as it sounded. So it was <laughs> seven years. Now we were 14 whenever we started dating. So come on, it wasn't, you know, we were just little kids. But um, so that way, hey, look, young people, I understand your pain whenever you break up with that girlfriend, you're 15 years old, and no, literally your life just ended. I understand, I know the pain. I lived it like at least 60 times, you know what I'm saying? I know about breaking up. And so anyway, um, there came a time though when it was, hey man, are you gonna, are you gonna commit to this thing? Is this, is this really happening? And if so, it's time to go take some steps. It's time to talk to her dad. It's time to get that ring. It might be a cheap ring, but it is a ring. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and it's time to get in, in a yoke together, man, and, and, and begin to build a life together. Because whenever you're married, you can build something together. Whenever you're dating, there's always like that out. You know what I'm talking about? There's always that, this might not work out. So, uh, uh, but man, all of a sudden, whenever you commit, it's good. It's challenging. It's not always good. Let me back up on that. Sometimes it's very, very bad, very hard. But, uh, but you know, with God's grace, make it through. And, uh, but it's better. It's kind of like a hotel versus a home. How many of you would like to live in a hotel the rest of your life? It would be cool for a little while, all right? But eventually it's like, it's annoying. 
okay? I mean, this past year, me and my wife, we built a house. And uh, for the first three, four months, we lived with, with my in-laws. And then for the le- next nine months, we lived with my parents who are on the front row. So it was a fabulous time. <laughs> we enjoyed it. It was a great time. Just a wonderful house to be raised in and go back to after 10 years of living on your own. It was fabulous. Uh, no, it, there, was, there was a lot, there was more good moments than bad moments. But eventually it was like, all right, I got to get back to my house here. I got to get my own place. I need a permanent place that I can build on and, and reside in. And you know what I'm saying? Like be a man in versus back from my parents, you know? It's a testing ground. It was a testing ground. No. But today we're talking about building a permanent church. And whenever I think of permanence, one of the things I think about is whenever you buy a plant from a store, you know, you go, you buy a plant, it's in this plastic pot or whatever, right? And that that plant can only get so big before guess what needs to happen? It's gotta get planted in the ground. It's, It's gotta be in a place where its root system can grow and it can actually grow some roots so that way it can actually bear fruit. Okay, you're not gonna be able to plant a tree in a pot and it really become this giant tree that will actually shade you for any amount of time, right? It's gotta be in the ground and uh, because it's a permanent thing. I recently just planted a tree and uh, realizing that it was gonna be permanent, I was looking around my yard trying to figure out where I wanted to put it. It took me quite a while. If you would have been like a bird on the fence just staring at me, kind of like walk like this. <laughs> just like, where am I going to put this tree? Because it's going to be around a long time. Why? Because I got a temporary, I don't have a temporary mindset with planting this tree. This thing's going to be around for a long time because it's permanent. Last year, there came a, came a stat, 2015, it's estimated that 10,000 churches closed. 10,000 churches closed and, uh, and only 4,000 were started and planted. So that's a 6,000 church decrease there. Now, now here's the deal. Sometimes it's good for things to close. You realize that there's a life cycle to pretty much everything. And sometimes things were just, just going awesome, you know, 60 years ago or whatever. And then things begin to fade. And it's like, you know what? It's time for that chapter to close. So a a new one can open. That's, that's reality sometimes, but 6,000, man, that's a lot. (laughs) 6,000 less churches this year than there were last year. Why? Because I believe that a lot of churches lack a permanent mindset. Not all of them, a lot of great churches. This is one of them, right? But if not careful, we could really fall into a mindset where it's number one, it starts where it's about us, just about us. And we start kind of becoming inward focused. And eventually that inward focus results in a temporary mindset. And temporary means what temporary means. It's only, it's got a small amount of life left. And we don't wanna be like that, right? We want to build something. I mean, I want to, whenever, whenever I finish out life, I want to walk into heaven. And like it says, we walk through a wall of fire and all the things that we did that didn't matter will get burnt up. I would like to have a little something left whenever I walk through that wall. Am I right? Y- y'all understand? Come on, let's live a life that has something that, that, that matters in the end. I, I pray that a lot for my own life. I say, God, would you help me work on things that matter? Would you help me to say things that matter? Because I don't feel like just being noise. I don't feel like living a life. And at the end, I look back and it's like, oh, that was all right, I guess. Man, I want like, to live a life that actually had something, that, that, that had some worth. And so, so we're going to be talking about this today. And our example is David. 
King David in the Bible. And uh, if you've been in church any amount of time, you know, you can use David for just about anything. <laughs> as a great example of just about anything. I mean, if, it, if, he's, if you're a kid, it's like David and Goliath. And as you grow up, it's like King David. And, but David was, uh, he made a lot of mistakes. He really did. A lot of big mistakes. Like, you know, murdering someone, that kind of stuff. I mean, the dude did some terrible things. Uh, but in the end, it says that he always had a heart after God. And I just think that was the thread that went through David's life is that he always had a heart after God, even though he messed up and failed. And actually David understood the heart of God a lot better than many people in that time. He understood obedience. He understood that God wanted us to want to obey him, not just have to obey him. You get what I'm saying? It's kind of like having to buy flowers for your wife. Such a terrible thing, right? She don't want those flowers. She wants you to want to, you know, just give those flowers, right? That just speaks to her heart. So, so uh, but David was a great guy. He went from a shepherd in a field to a king. And he advanced the kingdom of God in a great way in his lifetime. And so the thing about David is this. He had a desire to make the house of God, which was a temporary tabernacle, a tent, which Moses built, right? To make that temporary tent a permanent temple. He had this desire, this thing that was inside of him. He's like, man, you know what? We all have permanent homes. I wanna build a permanent home for God. The crazy thing is that God told him no. God said, yeah, I know that you wanna do that, but you're not gonna do it because you're a man of war, you've shed a lot of blood and, and I'm not building, I'm not gonna let you build this permanent temple. Uh, matter of fact, he actually ends up giving to his son, which we're gonna study about today. Uh, but we're gonna see how David reacted to this and how he kept this permanent mindset throughout all the, uh, the, the, temp, the, the trials, man. I think, I think that's kind of a, a punch in the gut whenever you have this desire, this passion that you wanna accomplish and then God really closes the door on it. So how did he react to this and how did he build a permanent kingdom, help build a permanent kingdom? We're gonna look at three steps to go from temporary to permanent. The first is that all things need to go from a passion to an action. This is something that applies to your life too. Everything that you do, if it remains a passion and not an action, then really was it anything but just emotion? I get excited about a lot of things, but I don't follow through with many of them. And that's probably good. I get super excited about like on a Monday, like I'm gonna change the world, man. And then by Wednesday, I forgot that I even thought those thoughts. You know, <laughs> I don't remember why it was just like this emotion because I never put any action to that passion. And man, can we get caught up in that in our lives very easily? It's so easy to talk. It's so easy to pray grandiose prayers and, and say grandiose things, but to actually step out and do it is a whole nother thing. And that's why I believe that really we do what we're passionate about. Like what we do is actually what we're passionate about. It's kind of like you actually believe what you obey, right? It's, it's that mindset. What we're passionate about comes out in the fact that that's what we do. And so I could say a lot of things, but if I don't actually put action to it, does it, does it really, that doesn't prove that I'm actually passionate about it. It's something that I'm saying, but it might just be an emotion because we've got to put action to the things that we say. Y'all understand that? It's very important. And so whenever we read in 1 Chronicles 28, we kind of see what David did to put some action to a passion that he had that God slammed the door on. It says, David rose to his feet, and this is towards the end of his reign. He said, my brothers and my people, it was my desire to build a temple where the Ark of the Lord's covenant, God's footstool could rest permanently. But 
He said no. <laughs> so I made the necessary preparations for building it. What David did, even though God said no, his passion, close the door on it, he still put action to it in the fact that he gathered everything that needed to be done in order for somebody else to build it. I think that speaks to David's character in a massive way. Even though he wasn't gonna see the result of it, he still worked as hard, just as hard as if he was. In our culture, if we're not gonna see the result of something immediately, what do we do? I ain't got time for that. <laughs> I mean, it's kind of like a church. I mean, you show up to the church. If you're not really invested in it, what do you do? I mean, you kind of leave the trash on the seat because what does it really matter? It's like whenever I go to the movies, I, I open the candy that I bought at a store that I brought in, first of all. And then uh, nobody works there, right? Hopefully not. Anyway, so... I toss the trash on the floor. I mean, there's no trash cans. What am I supposed to do? I toss it on the floor. I always forget to pick it up on the way out. Why? I have like no ownership. It's probably bad character, but it's the only place that I do it, guys, okay? It's the only place that I litter. I never throw anything else out the window of my car. But anyway, there's no ownership in it, man. It's temporary. I'm not invested in that. So therefore, eh, whatever. But man, whenever you're invested in something, you're passionate about it, guess what? You wanna make that place successful. That's what David does. He gathers, he makes all the necessary preparations to build this thing. Because David really, I think his whole mindset was, I, I really wanna do something that matters. And I know that this matters. And even though I won't be able to accomplish it fully, I still wanna have my, I wanna have some skin in the game. And he, he accomplishes something great, even though he didn't accomplish the whole, uh, the whole thing. I believe that passion without action, like we said, is just an emotion. But when, whenever we put action, to those passions, it's like putting a ring on the finger, just like I talked about earlier with my wife. I was passionate, but man, once I bought that ring and put it on the finger, that meant something. And that was that action that needed to be accompanied. Let's not be a church that just talks about doing great things for our community and never steps outside of these walls. All right, now what that looks like, it looks like things like Camping for Hope this, this Saturday morning. What does it look like to go? What does it look like to, to actually put some action to passion. It looks like waking up early Saturday morning, really early, like 5.30, I mean, super early, driving down to the beach and, and, and being with some people who are struggling immensely in life and giving without anything in return because they ain't gonna get nothing out of it. You're only gonna be able to give. And that's a great place for us to be. Totally non-consumerist, right? But that's what it looks like. Why? Man, honestly, partly because that was the heart of Jesus. And if we don't wanna do stuff like that, maybe we lack a little compassion, which one is, was one of the driving forces of the heart of God. We've got to check ourselves: Are we acting? Are we doing anything? Or are we just talking, flapping our gums? All right, that's the first step from passion to action. Number two, and this is a big one, from a father to a son. This really speaks of being generational, which this church is a generational church. This church was started in the 70s. It's passed to a, uh, my dad, the lead pastor. And, and I mean, so just in that place, it's already a generational church. But we also have old people, you know, like, like, like 90, right? <laughs> really old. And all the way down to we got newborn babies all over the place, which is what I mentioned earlier. 500 kids below the age of 12 on a Sunday. That's a lot of kids. We're a generational church. But to continue to be a generational church, we have to understand that we have got to continue to have a generational mindset. That things have got to go from the father to the son. And I wanna read some scripture that kind of depicts this and lays this out. It's in 1 Chronicles 28, 
five through nine. This is David still talking and he says, and from among my sons, for the Lord has given me many, he chose Solomon to succeed me on the throne of Israel and to rule over the Lord's kingdom. He said to me, your son Solomon will build my temple and its courtyards for I have chosen him as my son and I will, build, I will be his father. And if he continues to obey my commands and regulations as he does now, I will make his kingdom last forever. So now with God as our witness and in the sight of all Israel, the Lord's assembly, I give you this charge. Be careful to obey all the commands of the Lord your God so that you may continue to possess this good land and leave it to your children as a permanent inheritance. And Solomon, my son, learn to know the God of your ancestors intimately. Worship and serve him with your whole heart and a willing mind. For the Lord sees every heart and knows every plan and thought. If you seek him, you'll find him. But if you forsake him, he will reject you forever. So here's some four quick thoughts about going from a father to a son, this generational mindset. The first thing is that fathers, and when I say fathers, by the way, I'm, I'm really speaking to the spiritual heads of homes and the church. And, and, and look, some of you, your single moms, I understand that. Some of you, your grandparents taking care of your, kid, uh, your grandkids. And so it might not be like father, but father figure is what we're talking about here. Fathers must know the father, heavenly father, God. Step number one is that if we as spiritual leaders, as spiritual heads of our homes in this church, if we don't know God, not know about him, but actually know him, have a, a functioning relationship with God, then there, it's an impossibility to teach our kids. It's an impossibility to raise up the next generation. All it's gonna be is again, this right here. A lot of people say, I'm, I'm coming to church. Maybe you're in this place right now. I'm at church because my kids need church. Like they need to be in a place like this. I mean, I'm here, you know, I'm here too. But my kids, man, what they're getting is huge. Can I just kind of divert that, that, that mindset a little bit and correct that? That's really not the point. The point is that you need to know God first and foremost. You need to know God. It'd be like me trying to teach algebra and I don't know the first thing about algebra. I'm not gonna, uh, so in the book, it says this. So do that, you know, it's like, there's no conviction behind it. I can't speak about something I don't know about. We gotta know the father if we're gonna lead this church into this, this mindset, into this generational mindset, we've gotta know God. I believe this, I believe how daddy goes is how the family goes. Men, if you're not carrying the weight of the spiritual development of your home, it's out of order. You should, be the, you should be the spearhead of your house. And if you don't have a husband, mom, you're the spiritual spearhead of that house. Lead well, be, be in tune with the spirit of God. Some homes lack the peace of God because there's no presence of God. There's no direction, there's no vision for the house. And so people are just kind of existing together. I'm telling you, God, whenever he's in the mix of, mix of your home, there brings such a stability to that. And without it, it's, you're just kind of existing. So men, carry the mantle in your homes. Don't let your wife do all the dirty work. You know what I'm saying? Be the men, carry the weight. Then the second thing is that fathers must empower. Fathers must empower. Another word that could be used here is delegate. Like, this thing of empowerment and delegation is a two-way street. It's a reciprocation. Number one is that the older generation, right? 
The older they have to hand responsibility and delegate things to the next generation. That's the first step. The second step is just as important. That's the next generation, the younger ones have to receive it. A lot of times people are trying to hand off things, but there's nobody to take it. And so therefore, what does it do? It falls flat. We, we, we've speak, uh, uh, spoken multiple times about generational mindsets in this church. And some of you might've been in the first Wednesday where we showed the video of the crowd passing the, the flag. You remember, you know, and they're passing the flag across. And it was, you had people that took the flag and they would pass it across the crowd and everybody's just supporting it. And then eventually there was, there was a, a row that would just pass off the flag and it would continue to go around the stadium. And that was such a great picture of generational, which is somebody's got to grab the first part and pull that flag and start the process. But every Everybody has to support it and continue to pass it or it will fail, it will fall. And it's no different. We're not in a different place right now where some of us are carrying more weight than others, but all of us must carry weight. All of us must uh, be empowering, delegating, and others must be receiving that delegation, receiving that, that responsibility. David delegated the responsibility of building the temple to his son, Solomon. Now, <clears throat> like anything, let's, let's put ourselves where David's at. Let's picture this. You've worked your whole life to get to this point. God says no. And now you have this package, right? You have all this, the building material, the plans, the money, all this kind of stuff. And you're just giving it to Solomon. You're just giving it to your son. I can only imagine there was a little bit of hesitation, which is like, please, son, don't jack this up. <laughs> like, like, please don't drop the ball. You know, this is kind of a big deal. Kind of a big deal. We're building the house of God, you know. But what did David have to do? He had to release the responsibility. He had to delegate it or nothing would have happened. And Solomon did. Solomon finished it. But what a big example of a generational mindset of empowerment. It takes teamwork for that to happen. Fathers, number three, must uphold must uphold. And whenever we say uphold, we mean the commands of God, the standard of the word of God. We as the church, we must uphold the standard of God. As families, as individuals, if we don't, nobody else does. Do y'all feel that weight on you from time to time as the church in South Mississippi to literally be like the torch bearers for the kingdom of God? Do you ever feel that? Do you ever feel like if I don't stand, if I don't do, if I don't if I don't be what I'm supposed to be, who else is gonna do it? You know what that is? It's called ownership in the kingdom of God. And without that, I don't know that there maybe is any ownership at all in your heart because guess what? We are the body of Christ. Like we, like just because I'm on a stage right now talking to you does not mean that I am the church, right? There, there's a, there is a definite culture of misunderstanding in this, in this way, which is I come to church, I listen to a guy talk, and then I leave and I go live like just a normal person versus like we just sang about a child of God. Like, no, like we come together, we rally together as, as believers, we worship God, we, we learn about him, and then we go out as the church. There is a responsibility on you to do that. God has delegated to us that responsibility. But guess what? We got to receive it. We got to receive that responsibility and we got to walk it out. It, it, is, it is a lot of weight. Ownership does, does transfer weight on you. If you own a business, you know what I'm talking about. Sometimes don't you wish you just could 
go to work and then leave work and then not follow you home, right? Uh, yeah, you're like, oh, it's constant. You know, you wake up thinking about, why well, you have ownership. We have ownership in the kingdom of God. Number four, fathers must disciple. I'd like to make this statement, home discipleship trumps church discipleship. So if you think that by coming here and maybe you're sitting with your kids right now or dropping your kids off in building two, that they are getting everything that they need to live a successful life with God, like that's it, you're wrong. They need to see it modeled at home. They need, they've got to see it modeled at home. I'm gonna tell you the things, some, some of the moments that helped me get through my doubting and my lack of uh, understanding of God and through trials and, and, and things that I went through as a young person uh, some of the anchors of my life was watching my parents go through those times and staying grounded in their faith. Like sometimes I didn't have enough faith to really believe for myself. So I kind of had to draft behind somebody else's, you know what I'm saying? And I did that multiple times. I'm telling you, your kids are watching, it matters. And they're watching you not just as they're in the house and when they turn 18, by the way. Whenever your kids turn 18, that does not mean that you're done. Oh, got that done, whoo, yeah. No, it keeps going. You continue to model faith before your kids. This thing is generational. We've got to think like this. So disciple well, lead well. Third, the third thing about going from a temporary church or life to a, a permanent church is this. And this is more of a mindset that we've been talking about. It's to go from a tent to a temple. And this is a mindset that David had consistently. And it, it was really this. I want to leave the kingdom of God, the church, I want to leave it better than when I found it. That right there is gigantic. I want to leave this thing better than when I found it. Do we have that desire to leave the kingdom of God after we're dead and gone in a better place than whenever we were born into it? Do we have that thing inside of us I think most don't, be honest. Can we be honest today? I think most don't. That might be a thought that you never thought before. And that's fine. That's why we're doing this thing. But it's important that we actually do have that mindset because that's what makes this thing permanent. That's what pushes the ball down the field. And we've got to take ground. Let's look at this. I'm going to read some scripture and then I will expound on it a little bit. It's in 1 Chronicles 29. Talk about buy-in. That's what all, all what we're about to read it is about buy-in from the people of God. And now because of my devotion to the temple of my God, I'm giving all of my own private treasures of gold and silver to help in the construction. This is an addition. This is in addition to the building materials I have already collected for his holy temple. I'm donating more than 112 tons of gold from Ophir and 262 tons of refined silver to be used for overlaying the walls of the buildings and for the other gold and silver work to be done by the craftsmen. Now then, who will follow my example and give offerings to the Lord today? Awkward silence. <laughs> Verse six, then the family leaders and the leaders of the tribes of Israel, the generals and captains of the army and the king's administrative officers all gave willingly. For the construction of the temple of God, they gave about 188 tons of gold, 10,000 gold coins, 375 tons of silver, 675 tons of bronze and 3,750 tons of iron. They also contrib contributed numerous precious stones, which were deposited in the treasury of the house of the Lord under the care of Jehiel, a descendant of Gershon. 
The people rejoiced over the offerings for they had given freely and wholeheartedly to the Lord and King David was filled with joy. Then David praised the Lord in the presence of the whole assembly. O Lord, the God of our ancestors, ancestor Israel, may you be praised forever and ever. These people right here gave it all. Like they gave all they had to give for the advancement of the kingdom of God. I love how David does it, like models it and then kind of waits. Is everybody with me? <laughs> ah. And then they responded. And they responded by giving what mattered the most. See, ownership takes sacrifice. If you're a part of anything that you have ownership in, it's gonna take sacrifice from your life to build it. It's gonna take really three main components. Number one, it's gonna take your time. And for a lot of people, that's the hardest part. Some people would rather throw money instead of having to throw their time, <laughs> right? Because uh, here's 20 bucks, all right, move on. Time, it takes time, it takes talent. All of us have talent in this room. All of you have gifts and abilities. That's what makes the body of Christ this wonderful uh, kaleidoscope of people is that we come from different backgrounds, we have different talents and abilities and God's like, he's created you like that. Don't despise how you're made because God made you that way for you to to find a place on a wall that only you can fill, to be the puzzle piece that he has for you to fill. Time, talent, and the last thing is treasure, money. These three things, everything that we do, it, it really takes these three things. Think about it. Anything of value, it takes time, it takes effort. But having a mindset that says, I wanna leave it better than when I came, says that doesn't matter as much as it used to. So like spending time on something that would, let's talk about the church right now, build the kingdom of God. You don't look at it and you don't hold your time like this. You have an open-handed mindset with your time. Let me give you an example. So here at Northwood, we do small groups. It's, it's a major thing that we do, small groups. And uh, let me talk to the men for a second. So right now we are actually in, in, in dire need. We, we need men to lead small groups. We don't have enough of them. We need men to lead small groups. But as, as a man as I am, all right, I am a man, I, I think like, okay, what's the obstacles to actually saying, yes, I'll do it and then following through with it? And you know, as I look out, I know a lot of you guys, especially, man, you work ridiculous hours, ridiculous hours, you know? I mean, it, it's, in, it's incredible. And so whenever you think, how can I do something else? Like there's this wall of time and I mean, it's just, I can't do it. And you know, that's a reality for some, it really is, it's, 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 that's a barrier. But for others, I think what it is, it's, it maybe is just a little bit of selfishness and, I, and this is what it looks like. It's Tuesday, you get off work and it's 5.30. And if I lead a small group, guess what I have to do? I have to go home, have to change, get ready and then leave. <laughs> and then go be a part of a group and lead others in the kingdom of God. And that right there, like it's not necessarily the leading part. It's not necessarily the getting together with guys or whatever is, is the hurdle. It's, it's actually just the time. That's, that's the big thing because we are so protective. And so whenever we have a permanent mindset and we think that we're actually building something of permanence and we're actually a part of the kingdom of God, that little sacrifice doesn't matter that much in a good way. It's like, you know what? I'm a part of something huge and that little bit of inconvenience at that moment, it's not really that big of a deal. I cannot help 
but, but, but look in the Middle East and look at all the churches and all the, the Christians over there who are dealing with what they're dealing with and who are standing in the face of death and still choosing Christ and still sacrificing everything. I cannot help, and this starts with me personally, by the way. I'm not just putting this on you. Like, I feel this. I watch that, look at the graphic images, read the graphic stories, and then in that, I can't help but feel convicted about how lame I am, right? Like, can we be honest today? Sometimes we're lame, church. Sometimes we're lame Christians. We, we, we think we're sacrificing a lot whenever all it really is was like, man, I showed up today and I got there 45 minutes early so I could serve, but I only serve once a month because anything past that would be a little bit too much. You know, what is that, man? A little bit of laziness, a little bit of selfishness, but I can tell you this, it's a temporary mindset. And it is not what has got the kingdom of God where it's at right now. We are alive in 2016, this day and this time, to carry the weight of the kingdom of God to the next generation. And if we don't look at it that way, we will not accomplish the, the potential that God has for us. We'll be too consumed with ourselves. Let's not be like that. I want this church to be a church that, that in like 20 years, people who left could still come back to, and we're doing the same thing. That has happened a lot in this church. Maybe you're in this place today, and that's, we've had people that have come in, got, got their lives right with God, and, and man, things are good. And then through life experiences, things that happen, they've fallen away or whatever, and, and, and literally a decade later, come back, married with kids, and show up. It's like, y'all are all still here. Do y'all know the volumes that that speaks? And do y'all know how important that is for a community to have? This is, this is a nightmare, is that in 10 years, Somebody would say, there was this church on O'Neill Road. Um, man, I can't remember the name of it. Uh, is it Northwood? Northwood. Remember that church? Like, they were kind of big. They were doing some stuff. Man, what happened? What happened? I mean, things were going so good. What? Uh, yeah. How many of you do not want that to be spoken of your church? So what are we going to do about it? What are we going to continue to do to not allow that to take place? Because... Let us not get so conceited in success or the, the visual you know, stimulation of success that we would think that we've arrived in any way, shape, or form. The gates of hell won't prevail against the church of God. We believe that. But that church is us. A church is made up of people who have a permanent mindset who say, I'm giving it all. I'm giving all my time, all my talent, all my treasure. Now, the thing is, is that God's not gonna take all of your time, all of your talent, all of your treasure to where you literally can't have a job. All right, that's extreme. It's like, well, they said, they said give it all, so uh, I can't pay my electric bill anymore. No, that's not it. Misread that one. So, but it's the heart. It's that heart condition of I am surrendered and it's gonna be uncomfortable at times, but anything of value takes sacrifice. So let's have a permanent mindset in what we do. I want to quickly close with this. How are we going to continue to be a permanent church? How does a church like this stay in a permanent mindset and not go back into a temporary mindset that then falls? How are we going to build something in our generation in South Mississippi that matters, that stands the test of time? Well, it's going to start with this, by everyone being an active member. Everyone being an active member. Look, if you're new here, maybe you're visiting, that's cool. But if you've been here any more than just like once or twice, and like you're, you, if somebody asks you, hey, what church do you go to? You say Northwood, then I'm speaking to you, okay? 
if you really come to this church, are you an active member of this church? Not a dormant member, not a person that shows up from time to time and never has any investment, but are you an active member? An active member looks like this, someone who serves, and we've talked a lot about that today, someone who serves in some way, shape or form. I understand some of you, your time is really, you don't have a lot of it and, and that's a reality. But I want you to ask you a question, what can I do to serve in some way, shape or form? It might be a project that you can do, not you know, give the next five years of your life to every single Tuesday night, right? I, I mean, it's reality for some people and that's fine. But what can you do? What can you do? What can you do to serve in the kingdom of God? Number two is that you evangelize. This is important. All of you have friends and family who don't know God. And if you don't reach, reach them, I have a question, who will? If you don't go out and get in awkward conversations, right? And, and, and say, man, I've been praying for you. How are you doing? Would you go to church with me? If you don't step out and do that, there might be nobody else in their relationship and their influence, circle of influence, circle of friends that will actually step out and, and, and do that. You might be the only one. And that's reality. Active members of the body of Christ evangelize, serve, evangelize, and also take next steps. Some of you have been saved, but you've never been baptized. It's time to get baptized. That's your next step. Some of you have never led a small group. It's time to lead a small group. All right. Some of you have never been in a small group. It's time to get a little awkward and go meet some people and get in a small group. All right. Some of you not on a team. It's time to get on a team. All right, and if you're not doing any of those things, you're really missing out on what this church is. Because this church is not just a Sunday morning service, right? It's not just that. It'd be like coming eat, eating dinner at my house. And then that's like all I do at my house is eat dinner. Like, nah, I mean, my family meets here and there to eat dinner together, but we go out and we do things, we produce, we're functioning members of society, right? What, how weird, weird would it be if all our relationship was is sitting around the dining room table eating? No, there's more to it. We're at the dining room right now, but we're about to go and go do something. So become a part, that's an active member. Number two is being an active mentor. An active, remember we talked about generational. This is a mindset, this is a way that you live. What are you doing to help the next generation? What are you doing to help the younger, people that are younger than you uh, get involved and progress in the kingdom of God? What are you doing? Are you doing anything at all? We gotta get our hands dirty. We gotta realize that this is our responsibility. Number three is by everybody being an active believer. An active believer, pursuing the presence of God. As a church, really being desperate for the presence of God. Pursuing Christ-likeness, growing in our understanding of God and who he is. It is so important that we are active in our believing. And we're not dormant and just show up to church and we clock our hour and a half and then we leave. This thing is bigger than that, y'all. If we really believe that the kingdom of God is eternal and that really the local church representing Jesus is the hope of the, of the world, then what else is more important than finding a place on the wall to build? What is more important than that? There's really not much else. A lot of the other things we do will burn up at the end but I wanna do things that don't burn up. So we're active members, we're active mentors, we're active believers. And some of you in this room, I know that there's actually a spectrum of people. 
Some of, you, some of you in this room, when I say an active believer, you've never actually had that beginning moment with God where you've truly uh, kind of surrendered your heart to him, surrendered your life to him. So you're not a believer, right? You're, you actually kind of doubt everything that we're talking about right now. There's a lot of doubt. And then there's a spectrum all the way to those who have grown up in church. You knew all the stories I was talking about today. You could have maybe preached this better than I did. You know, you've been in church a long time but you don't have like a real vibrant, like alive relationship with God. It's more lip service. It's more what I show up to act like I'm doing, but like inside there's no heartbeat. There's no pulse. It's just bleh, it's flat. And what I wanna do today is I wanna offer you salvation. Now, this is the awesome thing about salvation is that God sent Jesus, his son. This is what we believe. This is in the Bible. That Jesus was sent to earth to live a perfect life and to die a terrible death. And in his death, whenever he shed his blood, that blood was the payment for our sin. That, that blood, that, that life that he gave was the payment for our sin. And because of that, all we have to do is just surrender to him. I mean, God did 99.9% .9 of the work for us. And here we are today. And I believe some of you are feeling that tension inside. You're feeling like, yeah, I think today is the day that I need to actually really choose God. And I wanna give you an opportunity to do that. Now, we're not gonna do anything weird. We're not gonna bring him to the front and surround you with like 50 people and bring in the back room and pray over you for the next three hours. We're not gonna do that. But it's important that all of us who are not right with God take a moment to search our hearts. And if we are not where we need to be, to make that decision. So would you bow your heads and close your eyes? For many of you, you don't know God, you're far from him today. Like I said, I'm not gonna embarrass you or do anything strange, but I am gonna ask you to do one thing today, one thing to show that Jesus, I need you. I've tried it on my own, but today God, I choose you. And this is what I want you to do right now. I want you to simply raise your hand. One, two, three four, five, six. Who else? You need Jesus. Seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, Come on, this moment is so awesome. There's entire families coming to know Jesus today. It's a turning page, a turning moment for you. The thing I love about God is that the Bible says his kindness leads you to repentance. It's not his judgment and the negative fear that grips you and, and oh, I, I have to do this, but it's his kindness, it's his grace, it's his mercy that he offers to you and says, I'm for you, not against you. And I want you to live a life of victory and joy found in me, not found in your effort, not found in what you accomplished, but what, in what I have already accomplished. Is there anybody else today you wanna choose Jesus. This is what we're gonna do. I'm gonna say a prayer. And as I pray, I don't want you to repeat every word I say, but I'm just gonna kinda of lead you in a direction. And I want you to pray to your God. 
you to surrender your heart to your God today. This is a great moment. Let's pray. Lord, I'm coming before you right now, surrendering everything that I have. God, I am tired of, of trying this on my own. I'm, I'm tired of trying to be successful and, and, and be happy. And God, I just feel empty. I feel a void. I feel hopeless. And today, I turn my heart over to you. God, I give you all my successes, all the things that, I've, that I tout with pride. And God, I give you all the things that I failed at, that I hide. God, I pray that you take it all. And Lord, I pray that today you forgive me of my sin. Forgive me of my unrighteousness where I have disappointed you. God, I pray that you would turn your face to me again. Show me your favor, show me your grace. I'm surrendered before you and I thank you for the hope that I found in Jesus. I thank you that I'm more than a conqueror because of him. And today I clothe myself in righteousness. I clothe myself in what Jesus has done for me. I thank you for your goodness and your kindness towards me in Jesus' name. And God, I pray over every person in this room, God, as we close out this series on builders. God, I'm praying that in us, you would do a great work, that we would see ourselves as builders in your kingdom. God, not as consumers in a church, but God, that we would see ourselves that, that we are carrying the weight. We are carrying this thing. God, you have delegated it to us. And it is our time to stand and be counted. It is our time to be a royal priesthood, a holy nation, and to love like others won't love, and to give grace where others won't give grace. God, to go and do things that others are scared to do. Would you fill us with boldness and power as your children to go out and be the church? God, would you fill us with a, God, would you, Put a burden on us. Put a burden on us that will produce passion and will produce action in what we do. God, we do not want to fall into a place where we think of ourselves as a cruise ship, where we, where we think of ourselves as a bunch of people who have arrived. But God, would you always help us to have the, the visual that we are standing arm in arm with other churches in this community and we are throwing out life rafts and we are reaching out to those who are drowning in this life, offering them something more. God, doing the hard work. Would you help us, all of us in this room, to give our time, our talent and our treasure to build the kingdom of God. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen. Amen. Can we give it up for those who gave their life to God today? Come on. If you just made that decision, let me be the first to say congratulations. The decision to follow Christ is just the beginning of your relationship with God, and we'd love to help you with your next few steps. If you'll text the word SAVED to 51660, we want to send you a link to our website that'll explain a little more about the decision you just made and give you some steps to take so that you can grow in your new relationship with God. We're one church in multiple locations. We have a campus in Gulfport, Wiggins, and in Long Beach, Mississippi. If you're in one of those areas, we'd love to see you at one of our live services. You can visit our website, northwood.tv, for service times and directions. If you'd like to give to this ministry, you can do that online as well. Just go to northwood.tv slash give, or you can text the amount you'd like to give to 228-215-3421. Again, that's 228-215-3421. Standard data rates and text charges may apply. Thanks for joining us today, and we'll see you next time.